In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the Coptic month. And as you might recall, whenever we have the fifth Sunday of the Coptic month, uh, we read from the miracle of the feeding of the multitude, the multiplication of the loaves. And uh, this is the, the miracle that, uh, as you know, is, is mentioned in all four Gospels. But each Gospel has some details that are different than the other. So today we read from St. John's Gospel, but we'll take some details from the story from also from Matthew because they give us some information about what happened before and some of the dialogue that takes place. Each of the evangelists mentions some slightly different or some additional um, details about the story. And what I want to do, I don't actually want to speak about the miracle itself, but I want to speak about sort of the, the underlying um, maybe psychology or, or, or spiritual condition that we see Christ in and that we see the people in and that we see the apostles in. Try to get a little bit into maybe how we can extract from their experience something spiritual for us. So the first, the first point, we just have, we're going to just cover four points. The first point, the, the gospel says that when Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. What did he hear? St. Matthew's Gospel tells us that just before this event, Herod had put to death John the Baptist. He had beheaded him. And the apostles of John the Baptist, the disciples of John the Baptist, came and told the Lord what had happened to St. John the Baptist. And so the beginning of the story says that when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, if we want to enter into the heart of the Lord, what happened in his heart when he heard it? What happened in his decision of what to do when he heard it? And we don't know for sure, because the Lord doesn't tell us. It might be that the Lord was saddened by the death of his friend and relative, and the one who prepared the way for him. It may have been that he went to a deserted place because he was mourning the loss of a friend. It could be that he went to this deserted place because he was avoiding confrontation himself with Herod, because he knew if Herod had gone after John the Baptist, now he was going after the one whom John the Baptist spoke about. And maybe he didn't want that confrontation right now, because it wasn't yet his time. In any case, what we do know is that whatever might have been the, uh, the imperative that he felt within himself, he went to a deserted place. In other words, he turned to his heavenly father, he turned to his father in heaven in order to deal with the grief, the sorrow, the trial, the difficulty, whatever it was. And we see if we, if we sort of, again, enter a little bit into the reaction of the Lord in different moments of the gospel readings, we see that in times of sadness, in times of trial, of difficulty, of the road ahead of him, he isolated himself to be with the Father. We can think, for example, of Gethsemane, 
on that awesome night before his betrayal, or after his betrayal, but before his betrayal was carried out and his arrest, and after the, the great suffering that was ahead of him in those hours just after that evening, he was alone with his father in Gethsemane. Or we can think of joyful moments when the apostles came back from their ministry where they had great success. They were casting out demons in his name. And Jesus, when he heard it, he immediately turned to the Father and said, I praise you, for you have revealed these things to little babes and children and have withheld them from the wise and the prudent. In other words, the Lord has taught us that in everything in our life, the good, the bad, the joyful, the sorrowful, the bad news, the good news, the easy way, the difficult way that we face, our instinct should be immediately to withdraw, to be with the Father. This is, I think, important for us not to pass over, that Christ here teaches the apostles and he teaches us that in every moment of your life, again, the joyful and the sad moments, share it with your Father. Don't share it with the people. Don't share it, don't, don't let it waste, be wasted as a precious perfume that's spilled on the ground. But whatever is inside of you, whatever is inside of you, share it with your father. You know, a priest was uh, telling a story about, he was visiting, uh, this priest was visiting a family and The father of the family was on his way back from work. And that day, the mother had been teaching her child to say what the priest said was the second most important word in the child's vocabulary, daddy. What's the first important word? Mommy, of course. So the child had learned how to say mommy, but the mother was teaching the child how to say daddy. And, and so the priest was saying that when the father walked in from work, his little child was at the top of the stairs and blurted out, Daddy. And the father was overwhelmed with emotion. So the priest, reflecting on this, he said, can you imagine how much joy our father has when we turn to him and say, Daddy? If, a, if an earthly father rejoices at the, at the saying of, of just the, his title, by his child. How much more does our Heavenly Father rejoice when we turn to him and say, Father, I praise you for the, for the great gift of this moment. Or, Father, look into my heart and see the sadness and the, and the, and the, and the difficulty. Right? So, this is the first point. And from it comes the energy and the wisdom the knowledge of how to deal with the world, how to deal with people. All of us, we want wisdom. We want to know how to deal with the difficult situations at work, at church, at service, uh, in our families, uh, with relatives. We're, we're constantly in this tension in our lives of what, what's the right thing to do? What do I say to this person? What do I not say to this person? Do I go or do I, do I not go? Do I do A or do I do B? 
And Christ teaches us that the answer is first when you withdraw. When you withdraw to yourself, to be alone with your Father in prayer and relationship and communication, then you have not only the wisdom but the, the energy to deal with the people. And that's what Christ did. He, he first went to this solitary place, but then the people came. They followed him, and he received them, and he knew what to give them. He knew how to teach them. He knew how to heal them. And ultimately, as we see, he knew how to feed them. So he teaches the apostles that don't just run into situations in your life. Don't just run into the world because you're going to stumble. You're going you're gonna to be clumsy. You're, you're, you're going to, you know, speak out of both ends of your mouth or, you know, or you're, 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 you're just going to mess things up more. So not only the wisdom and the energy and the knowledge, but the love. The love that we want to give to one another is not just an earthly affection. It's a divine love. So it doesn't belong to us. We have to receive it. We have to tap into it. And then we have to deliver it or share it. St. Isaac the Syrian, one of the great sort of ascetical fathers of the early church, he said something very beautiful. He said, do you wish to acquire in your soul the love of your neighbor according to the commandment of the gospel? And then here's sort of a shocking thing. He says, do you wish to acquire within yourself this love? He says, separate yourself from him. And then the heat and flame of the love of him will burn in you, and you will rejoice over the sight of his countenance as though you beheld an angel of light. When we withdraw in prayer and in reflection, communion with God, then when we go back to, to, to meet our neighbor or our workplace or whatever it is, then we become inflamed with divine love and we begin to see everybody as an angel of light, not the other kind of angel. So when Jesus heard it, so our question to, to us, to ourselves today is, When you heard it, what did you do? When you heard that Christ was here today on this altar, what did you do? When you, when you heard that Christ was there in the scriptures wishing to speak to you, what did you do? When you heard it, what was your impulse? The next one is, says, but when the multitudes heard it, but when the multitudes heard it. So we know what Jesus did when he heard it, the news of John the Baptist. But what did the multitudes do when they heard that Jesus had gone out to this deserted place? It says, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So here we have this beautiful image of the church. When the, when the multitudes heard that Christ was in this deserted place, they left the city to gather around him on the mountain or in the desert, deserted place to be with him. So this is the, the, the beautiful picture of the church, the association of the needy, the hungry, the sick, and even those whose intentions weren't so pure, and even those who were hypocrites, and even the evildoers, but all of them 
entered into this community, this association, this fellowship. And this again is a question for us. When we hear about the presence of Christ being on the altar in the scriptures and the sacrament of confession, what do we do? Do we leave our preoccupations? Do we leave our city? Do we leave our uh, busyness? And do we go out? And if we do, why do we do it? If we do, why do we do it? After this incident, Jesus himself, when the, when the people continue to follow him after he feeds them, and they follow him again in large groups, large masses of, of people, Jesus turns to them and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, seek me not because you saw the signs, but because, of the, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So he asks the question, okay, it's good that you came from the cities, it's good that you came from your busyness, it's good that you came from all of your distractions, but for what purpose? What's at the heart of your intention? St. Augustine says, God bestows more consideration on the purity of the intention with which our actions are performed than on the actions themselves. We can't hide from the Lord. If we can hide from ourselves, I can hide from you with these nice vestments, my, my nice beautiful hat, and holding my cross, and so I can hide very well from all of you. But I can't hide from Christ. He knows the inner depths of my heart. He knows every one of my thoughts. He knows every one of my intentions. And that's a frightening thought. It's a frightening uh, realization that even the good that we do, we have to be careful of. Even all of the wonderful services and the relationships that we have with one another and the good words that we say to each other and all the sacrifices that we make for each other can still be an outer sort of dressing. So one of the spiritual fathers, he said, the soul of every virtue is the intention. The soul of every virtue is the intention. It's the heart of it. It's the meat of it. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's just like I'm defined by my inner being, not by my outer being. So in the same way, the soul of every virtue is the intention behind it. So this is what the multitudes did when they heard it. And then the next one we read is that, and when Jesus went out, he saw and when Jesus went out, he saw. What did he see? When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When Jesus went out from his solitude and he saw the crowds coming, what did he see? Yes, he saw people. But what did he see? You and I, we see each other, but what do we see in each other? He saw thousands of people. The Bible tells us 5,000 men. People estimate 12,000 people. But that's not what he's talking about. He didn't see 12,000 people. What did he see? He saw the pain in each person's heart. He saw the hunger in their eyes. He saw the desires of their hearts. He saw the good and the bad intentions in each one of them. 
that's what he saw. And what did he do when he saw that? Or what, what happened to him when he saw that? The Bible says, and he was moved with compassion. Certainly, Lord, you are moved with compassion for the, for the sick person, yes? And of course, you are moved with compassion for the blind man, yes? And no doubt you were moved with compassion for the, for the poor person who couldn't eat, of course. But could you be moved with compassion for the evil man? Yes. Could you be moved with compassion for the hypocrite? Absolutely. Could you be moved with compassion with the traitor and the betrayer and the ones who are here to report you to the authorities and have you killed? Absolutely, even more so. What did Jesus see? He saw with compassionate eyes everybody was in need of his love and transformation. So again, this is the question for us. What do you see? What do I see when we go out and see the world and see each other? There's a beautiful quote by Father Henry now, and he says, Our call to compassion is not a call to try to find God in the heart of the world, but to find the world in the heart of God. Let me say it again. Our call to compassion is not to find God in the heart of the world. That is, my call to compassion is not to find in this ugly and miserable and fallen world to find God somewhere. But he says it's the opposite. It's to find the world which is in the heart of God. It's to see the world which is in the heart of God. It's to love the world which is in the heart of God. It changes completely how I look at the world. It changes completely how I look at other people. Because that evildoer, that hypocrite, that whatever is in the heart of God. I'm not looking for God in him. I'm looking for him who is already in the heart of God. And that's a completely different scenario. And now I can love that person much more easily because he's already there in the heart of God. Who am I? not to love that person who is loved and cherished and protected by God in, in his bosom. When Jesus went out, he saw. And then the last one is his disciples came to him. His disciples came to him. Now the disciples enter into the picture. And they came to him and they said, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So what did the disciples do when they came to him? They came to him with an earthly problem that they only saw an earthly solution. And the reality is that most of the times when we go to the Lord, we go to him with our earthly problems. And we say to him, there's only earthly solutions. And it has to be A, B, and C. And they were very calculating. They said, we only have five loaves and two fish. We counted them. And uh, we counted how many people. 5,000 men, da, 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 about 12,000 people. Let's see, that's about so many hundreds of denarii. That's about, I mean, they, they sat and they, they planned, they calculated. They had a meeting, they had a board meeting, you know, and they discussed the problem. 
and they came to him with this problem. And Jesus sort of, sort of lets them sit in the problem for a while. Even in the Gospel of St. John, Jesus himself said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that the, the, all these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So sometimes the, even the Lord, the voice of the Lord says to us, how are you going to do this? It's impossible. How, 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 can you, how can you face this problem that you're facing today? Lord, you're, you're asking me? Yeah, because I want to know where your faith is. And then we go off to our, our, our assembly and we say, okay, how many hundreds of denarii am I going to need? And I come back to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here, here's, I think, what we need to do. He says, no. So he lets them sort of sit in this situation. And then he completely dismisses the ordinary means of feeding these people. And the point is, is that he wants to show us, and he wants to show them, of course, and he wants to show us that the solution to the problem, the solution to the problem is in the midst of the problem. Because in the midst of the problem, he's present there. It's like the same situation they faced when they were in the, in the boat in the storm and Jesus wasn't with them. You know, it happened twice, once when he was asleep, at the helm of the boat, and the second time when he wasn't with them in the boat. And it's not that first Jesus calmed the storm and then they recognized him, but they had to recognize him in the storm. So he comes to them walking on the water, and they have to recognize him before the storm is calmed. See, the order is very different than how we usually want it. We usually say, oh, I saw the hand of God and what happened to me. Because I had this problem and then a miracle happened and I saw the glory of the Lord in this problem. It's good. We should be grateful anytime something reveals to us the glory of the Lord. But he wants us to recognize him first in the problem, in the darkness, in the turmoil, in the impossibility of the situation is to say, Lord, I see you. I see you, Lord. I recognize you. You're, you're here. So there is no darkness. There is no turmoil. There is no agitation. Because we're present. It's very simple. So they say, let them buy food for themselves. Jesus is not going to tolerate this solution. Because not only is the miracle about to be performed, but there's a message behind the miracle. The message, of course, is that if we give them money to buy food for themselves, or if we send them away to the towns to buy food for themselves, they will think that they themselves are sort of the, uh, the ones in charge of their well-being. That they somehow have some control over their life. And Jesus says, that's not the lesson I want to give them. I want them to know that I am the sustainer of their lives. I am the nourishment of mankind. I am the one who in the midst of this hunger will feed them. They have to know 
that their hunger, the solution to their hunger is in me, not in the pound, not in the grocery stores, not in Costco, not in lower gas prices, not in world peace. They have to recognize that the solution for life is me. St. John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is, this is the, the, the purpose of his coming, to say, I am the light of the world. I am the, the resurrection and the life. And so we see on this mountain, Isaiah, if you want to read Isaiah chapter 25 at home, Isaiah chapter 25 is a beautiful chapter about the end. And the end is described as the Lord is seated upon the mountain. And there's a banquet. And all of the people of the ends of the earth are gathered on this mountain to partake of this banquet. And it says there that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's also mentioned in Revelation, but it's actually in Isaiah first. That on this mountain, Jesus will wipe away every tear. So what is this an image of? It's an image of the end, the, the purpose of all things, the kingdom of God. So we have an image not just of the church on this mountain, but, but ultimately the church and this, this miracle, which points to the Eucharist, is an image of the age to come. It's the, the banquet, the feast, the final feast, when we will be gathered on the mountain of the Lord and He will wipe away every tear. And so, that's the point of the miracles, that the ultimate satisfaction is here. The ultimate end for every person is here on this mountain with the presence of Christ, feeding his people, satisfying them, nourishing them. It's interesting that in the Gospel of St. John, it tells us that there is a young lad here who has five loaves and two fish. That poor kid was the only one who thought to bring food. Right? And they take it from him. Or he offers it. But as one commentator said so beautifully, he said, this child had more faith than everybody. Because this child gave those five loaves and two fish and didn't know how they were going to come back to him. For sure, that child looked and said, 5,000 men, five loaves and two fish, good luck if I'm going to see the scale from that fish. Right? But there is a, a hidden message in, in, in that act and that the child gives it without knowing how it's going to come back. He offers it without knowing what it's going to produce. Isn't that the ultimate act of faith, the ultimate act of trust? Lord, take it. I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's okay because I know who I'm giving it to. So I'll just end with this beautiful quote from the dialogue with the Lord Jesus Christ and St. Faustina. He said to St. Faustina, if your trust is great, there's no limit to my generosity. If your trust is great, there is no limit to my generosity. So this is the key that unlocks everything. And glory be to God.